Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's Sermon Podcast. If you'd like more content like this, find us on our website at www.surechurch.com. Today's sermon was preached on November 15th, 2020 at Sure Foundation in Brandon, South Dakota on the basis of Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. reading today from Acts chapter 4. We're, we're kind of picking up in the middle of the story here, but you're going to get some background as we start the body of the sermon. So listen to the words from Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if you are being called to if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished, and they took note of these men, and that they had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people... We must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God who had, for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is God's word. How could they have been so upset? 
And Peter and John had just healed a man who had been crippled for his whole life. This man's life would never be the same again, and even that statement is an understatement. It's hard to see any negative to this, yet the Jewish leaders were furious. And so the question is, why? Well, it perhaps is not what they had done, but what they were saying. Because after Peter had healed this man, he took the wonderful opportunity to preach to the people. In a sermon, he made it clear to all the people that it was not by his own power that this man was healed, but it was by God's power. And it was through the same power that Jesus was raised from the dead. So the the miracle that they had seen was nothing but further proof that the resurrection was true. And that was the very truth that the Jewish leaders were trying to deny. But Peter was not going to mince words. <laughs> He's standing in the temple courts preaching the very thing that the Jewish leaders who, who controlled the temple didn't want people hearing. And it becomes obvious that Peter is not holding back because he's going to preach the message of law and gospel to the people because it is so important. And even if it's harsh, he's going to say it. And so he preaches harsh law to the crowd and he accuses the crowd of killing Jesus. He said, you killed the author of life. That's a pretty heavy statement. But Peter's preaching did not stop there. He then urged the crowd to repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And the amazing thing is about all this is that the word was working. People were listening to Peter's message and they were believing in Jesus because of his words. Now, as the Jewish leaders watched, this was very disconcerting to them. In their mind, this was their temple. They owned this temple and Peter was preaching everything that they didn't want the people to hear. We see that in verse 2. He said, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It just couldn't seem to be that these Jewish leaders couldn't get, get away from Jesus. When they, put the Jesus. when they put Jesus to death on the cross, they thought they were done with him. They thought this was all going to be over, yet it seemed to only be the beginning. Now the teaching of Jesus was popping up all over the place. And at this point, they're a little frantic. They didn't know what to do because people were actually believing Peter's message. And the healed man standing next to him was just further proof. So for for the time being, they would throw Peter and John in jail for the night and they would confer the Jewish ruling council the next morning, the, the Sanhedrin, to discuss what to do about Peter and John. And meanwhile, in the text, it says the believing number grew to 5,000. Now, now, this is pretty great. Because right after the Pentecost, the number of people, believers, was 3,000. And now the number has grown to 5,000. The word is working in people's hearts and many people are coming to believe in Jesus as their Savior. But it's important for us to maybe stop and think about how far the disciples had come by this point. After Jesus' death, do you remember what Peter and John were doing after he died on the cross? (laughs) They were barricaded in a room with the doors locked because they were afraid. And the question is, who are they afraid of? Well, they were afraid of the Sanhedrin. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders, the very people that they are standing in front of and preaching the truth of Jesus in front of this day. If you want to see an obvious working of the Holy Spirit, here it is. The Holy Spirit is working in Peter and John. And it says even, and we'll catch it in a second here, that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. So they spend the night in jail, and the next day, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. 
And the Sanhedrin asks, by what power or what name did you do this? And here's where we get it. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This last verse. This last verse stands as a direct contradiction to the thinking of the world and the thinking of my sinful nature. Many stumble on the exclusivity of Christ. That is, we are saved by Christ alone. Because the thinking goes like this. If God is so loving then why wouldn't he make the entrance to heaven a little wider? If God is so loving, then why wouldn't he create multiple paths to himself? Instead, the way to God is so exclusive because it's only through Jesus and it leaves so many people out. And this all seems like very hypothetical talk until, until you lose someone you love that did not believe in Jesus. I pray that you haven't had to go through that. But unfortunately, many, if not all of you, have or will go through this at one point in your life. And that's when you're really confronted with the exclusivity of Christ. Then the temptations from the devil sink in. The devil is going to prey on you in these moments. And it'll start with a question. Is God really loving if he sends someone to hell? Next, it'll grow into an accusation. God is cruel for punishing people. And finally, when it is full grown, the devil has you. I can't believe in a God who would do that. It's always fascinating to me how over the course of all of history, the nature of sin really has not changed. In in the Genesis reading that we had previously this morning, we heard about the fall into sin. And there were two moments in that account that are especially interesting for our discussion this morning. First, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God comes to visit them. Now, do you think that God knew what had happened already? Well, of course he did. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knew that Adam and Eve had sinned, and yet he still asks them, number one, where are you? And number two, Why are you hiding? He knows the answer to both of those questions too, but why is he asking them? What is he trying to do by asking those questions? Well, God is giving them the opportunity to come clean, to acknowledge their sin, to repent before him, to confess to him. But they don't take that opportunity. Instead, what do they do? The next thing they do is place blame on someone other than themselves. Eve blames the snake and Adam, Adam, he he says, The woman you put here with me. Just a chapter before this, Adam was giving thanks to God for giving him the gift of a spouse in wonderful 
Hebrew poetry, he says, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And we hear about the, the wonderful union in their first marriage, how the two had become one flesh. And yet now, here Adam is, just a chapter later, saying, The woman you put here with me, God, you did this. The woman did this. He's not only blaming Eve, but he's blaming God for creating Eve. In our sinful nature, we find the same urge to blame as Adam and Eve. And we're excellent at directing the blame and attention away from ourselves. Rather than dealing with the ugliness of sin in our own heart, it's far easier to blame God or accuse him of being unloving. Because then the blame is on God and I don't have to come to grips with the depth of my own depravity. And in a sense, it it is denial. And what we hate about death, what we hate about hell, is, is actually not God's unfairness. But we all really know deep down that what we hate is God's fairness. My sins deserve punishment. My sins deserve hell. God is being fair by punishing my sin and by, by sending me to hell for my sin. And, but it's easier for me to blame God for being unloving in doing this than it is to admit that he is being fair. It's easier to call him unloving, but that is altogether untrue, and it's merely my way of trying to cope with what my sins deserve. In a sense, it is denial. God in his love did not want you to receive what your sins deserved. So right after Adam and Eve fell into sin, he made a promise to Adam and Eve. Even before they came clean about their own sin, he made a promise to them. He made a promise of the head crusher. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent here, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. One day there will be a head crusher. One day the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the devil. One day Jesus, born of a woman, would crush the head of the devil. But Jesus would not come out unscathed. The devil would strike his heel. Jesus would have to suffer. God, in his love, did not want you to receive what your sins deserve. So Jesus took the punishment for you. What he suffered on the cross was more than physical pain. He suffered the torments of hell as he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lived the life that we couldn't. Jesus took the punishment that was ours, also that we could have eternal life. You could say, in a sense, that Jesus is not exclusive. You could say that because his salvation is for all people, from all nations, from all backgrounds, men, women, and children, rich and poor. His salvation is for all. But you can also say that Jesus is exclusive, that his salvation is exclusive. Because it is only through him. Because, and here's the big point, only Jesus could accomplish your salvation. He was the only one that could do it. Your good works couldn't. Your accomplishments couldn't. Your money couldn't. You couldn't sacrifice anything that would save save you. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Not Allah, not Buddha, not anyone else. Only Jesus is the name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
you know, the world may still want many paths to God. They may think that it's unloving to exclusively offer salvation through Jesus. But there is only one way. And Jesus in love blazed that path for you. But I stopped here in the middle of the story. There's more to the story of Peter and John. So, so let me go on with that. Peter gets done speaking and it says that the men of the Sanhedrin were amazed at his words. You see, Peter was not an intellectual scholar. He was not an educated man. Peter was a fisherman. He was a simple guy by all accounts. Yet now he stood in a pressure-filled situation speaking with courage, boldness, and perhaps even eloquence. So Peter's words were powerful. There's no doubt about that. But, but also, standing right next to Peter was this man who was once crippled for all 40 years of his life, who used to sit, sit at the temple gate and beg for money. And so everybody who entered the temple saw that this man was crippled, and now they see him standing there, able-bodied. And Peter's words said volumes, but this healed man spoke volumes too. Everyone knew that this man had been crippled as long as they have known, known him. And so the Sanhedrin couldn't say that he was faking it or make up some other excuse. They couldn't deny that Peter had done a miracle. And so the Jewish leaders were at a loss. What were they going to do? Well, if they couldn't deny or discredit the message or the miracle, all they could do was try to suppress the truth. And so they instructed Peter and John not to speak about Jesus to the crowds of people like this again. Yet with continued boldness, Peter says, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You are saved by Christ alone. Anyone who is saved is saved by Christ alone. We can find great beauty in that. And great comfort in that. And yet, at the same time, we can still be incredibly sad and distraught at the funeral of an unbeliever. But let me propose this to you. What if we took the exclusivity of Christ and the sadness that you feel at the death of an unbeliever, what if we took those two things, bottled them up, and made them a call for action? Because you don't want anyone to die without knowing about Jesus as their Savior from sin. Because you never want to attend the funeral of an unbeliever again. And so you're going to keep speaking about what you have read in Scripture and what you've been become convinced of. You're going to keep speaking about what you have heard in church. You're going to persistently keep inviting people to come and hear about Jesus because Jesus is so important, so vital, and so necessary. Jesus alone is the only way to heaven. That is motivation to speak like Peter and John. That is motivation that models the heart of your God, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The world will still battle against the exclusivity of Christ, but you continue to find peace and joy in a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son because salvation could only happen and is only found in Christ alone. Amen.